don't forget the Walmart mongoose fat bike oh, for like $175. Okay, so there's an entry-level bike now officially for sale at Walmart. Yep. If Walmart's selling something, you could tell it's obviously picking up and, and uh, impacting the globe. <laughs> Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Hey gang, this is not Alex. This is Caroline Kessler. Remember me? The intern. I'm back and Alex is sitting over there. I'm over here. This is Wintry Mix, episode 39, and I'm going to try to help Alex along through the world of fat biking since he doesn't know squat. What's a bicycle? We're in the Vermont Public Radio studios today and we'll have Brooke Scatcherd, the man behind the fat bike ski. Yes, you heard that right. And Dave Ox will be calling in from Crested Butte, Colorado where he organized the Fat Bike World Championship in 2016. So Alex is making me do the heavy lifting today since I'm really into bikes. We'll see how it goes. Stay with us. I can get used to this. Season 3 of Wintry Mix is supported by... All right, get on a plane, fly to Salt Lake City, and devour the powder at Snowbird in Little Cottonwood Canyon. With 500 inches average annual snowfall, seven minute tram rides to the summit, and over 3,000 vertical feet, this will make your season. Check out fourth night free slopeside lodging options or visit with your mountain collective pass. Snowbird.com is step one. Step two is follow Snowbird on social to stay stoked until you arrive. World Cup Supply has served the ski resort, race, and event industry since 1991. Visit worldcupsupply.com to see the complete selection of race gates, safety, and crowd control fencing, on-hill tools, poles, nets, you name it. If you are running a ski resort, an event, or an event at a ski resort, then trust World Cup Supply for the gear that ensures safety and success. Over 250 ski areas use Liftopia to reach millions of skiers and riders planning their trips. But what you might not know is that Liftopia's cloud store is also the most widely used e-commerce ticketing technology for ski area websites, with over 100 North American ski resorts using the platform. Your team, your strategy, your customers partnered with the best e-commerce support and technology in the industry. Visit Liftopia.com and click platform to learn more or email partners at Liftopia.com to schedule a call today. Welcome back, Wintry Mix 39. I'm Alex Kaufman, but today I'm going to take back seat. So I'm just going to introduce you guys to who's in the studio. Brooke Scatcherd, Fat Bike Ski. You're here, right? Yeah, right here with the ski. In the flesh, right in front of me. And we've got Dave Ox on the line from Crested Butte. Dave, are you there? Absolutely. What's the weather like in Crested Butte today? You know, a little overcast, but we're still milking the uh, 21 inches we got uh, over Friday and Saturday, so things are pretty good here. Oh, that burns a little bit. All right, well, today's game plan, because I'm not that big a biker. I'm just going to kind of be the heckler backseat driver guy. We've got Caroline Kessler, who's the intern, but she is a way bigger mountain biker than I am. So today's her first run at the driver's seat. Caroline, take it away. 
Hey, so you guys already know each other, right? How did you guys meet? Well, I met Brooke last year at Fat Bike World. He came out with a pretty unique device and turned a lot of heads, and it was pretty hard to miss that guy. Yeah, it was great meeting Dave. He put on a stellar event, uh, really just the coolest event of the calendar. That was the first Fat Bike World Championships ever, right? You know, there's one in Alaska that claims they did world, but I would like to think that we outworlded them. I don't mean to say it in a bad way. <laughs> so was it just a race? Like, how long was the race? What type of event was it? You know, we had uh, four days last year. started off with a kind of a, a solo relay or a team event up at a place called North Village, a little more friendly venue. Um, the second day of Fat Bike World was actually a uh, seminar, if you will. It was kind of like an educational piece in conjunction with Gary Soquist and the Global Fat Bike Summit. So it was a, a good educational day or a seminar day, if you will. Saturday was Fat Bike World itself. And then Sunday, we had a very special and unique uh, downhill course planned up on the ski hill. Granted, we got about 18 inches of snow that day. So um, it was a heck of a weekend with a whole bunch of events, all of it surrounded by a lot of beer, music, and good times. How'd you do, Brooke? I got 20th in the open category. Um, Dave said I was allowed to race on the fat bike ski, but I couldn't win. He <laughs> couldn't win, that's all. <laughs> what kind of numbers did you have, Dave? Um, as many as you expected, and, and what kind of was that like? Well, you know, Tens, hundreds? Uh, you know, hundreds. Um, we were incredibly excited about the turnout last year. For Fat Bike World itself, the big event, the main day on Saturday, we did have 265 racers. We had everything from the likes of Dave Ween to Travis Brown to the banana costumes and the pink bunny suits. It was a hell of a mix. Lieutenant Dangle started off the race, which is one of the best photos we got out of this thing. But um, we had an amazing turnout overall for the whole weekend and couldn't have been happier with the way it turned out. We're incredibly excited for year two of Fat Bike World here coming up. How far away do people travel from? You know, last year we had England, Costa Rica, uh, Iceland, a couple other South America folks. And then again, we had a pretty good, obviously, local front range con or a, a contingent here from Denver, Boulder, that area as well as a good bit from Utah to Arizona to New Mexico. We kind of ran the whole Western gamut. And, you know, we didn't get a ton of the Midwesterners and another pretty big hotspot for fat biking, but I think we got a different thing going on. Either way, it's open to any and all. There's all levels and abilities, and it's really all about the fun. So we are hoping to grow it a little bit more this year. We're not necessarily taking on more competitors just because um, we don't want to diminish the quality and the experience, but um, it's filling up quickly, so we're really excited. And Caroline, you were telling me something about this was in a Warren Miller movie? Yeah, um, got invited to film. We were supposed to be doing a downhill race on Sunday, but like Dave said, it snowed a foot and a half. And uh, they let people ride and did some filming of just riding for fun. You're riding downhill mountain bike trails on it or downhill yeah, ski trails? Yeah, Dave and his crew had groomed out a couple of the flow trails on the mountain. So we were riding powder on a flow trail and uh, the ski was pretty clutch for that. So you were, were you the only person there riding with a, instead of a front wheel, a front ski? Yeah, I was. Um, I had uh, the, the current prototype. I have two of them at the moment. And this was, the one I was on was the, the newest last year. I was the only one in existence at the event. And um, yeah, so the only one with the ski did the races and then did the, the filming. Um, rode alongside fat bikers with regular skis and then went off on my own where they couldn't keep up. Right, because snow conditions really dictate what works well where, um, whereas, whereas fat biking, if I understand it right, is kind of a cross-country endeavor. It's most similar to cross-country mountain biking, um, and downhill mountain biking um, is much more challenging on a fat bike. Right, it yeah. is. The origin 
fat biking, I've only been hearing about it for the last maybe, I don't know, five, eight years. Uh, do we know where or when or how it started? I was going to say Alaska is really the founding place of it, and the original folks that were doing it were looking to, you know, I did a bike in some of those events up there, and they were taking two wheels and basically welding them together. So just imagine two mountain bike wheels put together as one unit, and uh, that was some of the, you know, original fat bike ideas. And then it came into, you know, some folks just playing around and making some wider rims and uh, getting a company to make some bigger rubber. And, and by the 90s, I mean, the stuff was coming out, but no doubt um, – it took the 2000s and even the last really four or five years to really, uh, for the for the uh, industry to really explode. The winter that we had out west years ago and our winter east last year that were horrible. Would you say that those helped fat biking? Oh yes, greatly. Yeah, greatly. Is, is is that a narrative or is that reality where people are saying, oh, when the skiing's not good, the fat biking's great? Is that is that a narrative or is that actually the truth? That's very much the truth, and that's exactly what it is. It's funny, you know. Uh, here in Crested Butte, a pretty die-hard um, athletic town in every endeavor, was also a little slow to the fat bike thing. I mean, people here are very, very serious about skiing. And I was like, what the hell are these fat bikes doing? Get out of here, you know. <laughs> and, you know, we might go two or three weeks with no snow. And that's exactly it. When we don't get the fresh powder, this is another recreation opportunity. It is actually very in line with Crested Butte and our values and our culture here because this is bike culture. And it it's amazing how... It's a great way to fill the voids, if you will. And on top of that, it's a great way to actually access skiing. I mean, if you want to really be doing the green thing, you can ride your fat bike with your skis attached to it to the trailhead to go skiing. So it's a great way to get around in the winter period, but it's also a great way to fill voids in some, you know, recreation lapses, if you will. Well, I, I don't know a lot about the biking itself. I, I got little kids. I own a bike. I haven't fat biked yet. But but on the economic side, um, do either of you have a feel towards you know, what is the size of the fat bike market um, as opposed to, I guess, the general mountain bike market? You know, what's happening economically in this space currently? It's growing real quick. At the Fat Bike Summit, they gave some stats on uh, fat bike sales around the world, and it had doubled from 2010 to 2015 every single year. I think they're estimating, as of last year, there were around 80,000 fat bikes sold with about 20 to 25 sold every year at this point. What's a fat bike cost? They range from nine hundred dollars to four thousand dollars. It's pretty similar to a mount, like a high end mountain bike. Similar pricing to like a high end hardtail. Don't forget the Walmart mongoose fat bike oh, for like one hundred and seventy five dollars. Okay, so there's an entry level bike now officially for sale at Walmart. <laughs> yep. If Walmart's selling something, you could tell it's obviously picking up and and. and impacting the globe. <laughs> and, and Dave, in these high-use areas like like mountain towns and things like that, is this a product that people can rent or is it pretty much an ownership discussion? It's absolutely a rentable item. It's funny you say that. I just got a comment back from one of the bike shop owners here in town, Big Al's Bicycle Heaven. She's got fat bikes. She's on Elk Avenue, which is our main street in town where the shops and restaurants are. And Again, people come here for a ski vacation. Maybe the snow wasn't that good for a couple of days. Maybe their legs are exhausted. They're looking for something else. They do see the fat bikes outside, and whole families are renting them. So they'll take the day off and go fat biking around town. Some of them rent them for the full three, four, five days that they're here because it's a great county for when they're here. So it is a very rentable item, and that's actually the best way for people to get involved. And it's how it's really picked up because it's not easy to add another bike to the quiver. It's hard to store. It's a little bit bigger and be, or you know beefier, so it's not the easiest thing to take around. But um, for people to get a chance to rent it and get out there, it's been a big part of the experience. 
Yeah, there's a lot of huge demo days that come up in Vermont, too, in the winter just because of that, because people who don't want to own one want to use one. I know there's a huge one at Kingdom, January 1st. Our bike shop does a whole bunch of rentals, and almost everybody demos one before they buy it because they are so skeptical, and then they're immediately convinced. Right, the skepticism. Okay, guys, we're not going to let this elephant hide in the closet here. Why do I hear goofball comments about fat biking, like, oh, fat bike? It exists, guys. I mean, we can't hide from it. Like, who are these people? What are they saying? And when are they going to get over it? I mean, I hear it most at work from skiers. I'm a diehard skier. I was a skier before a biker, and I definitely made all those comments before I tried it, just because I've always said a bad day skiing is better than a good day doing most other things in the winter, which I equated with bikes. And then once I went fat biking, I realized... Days where it's like crusty snow, kind of gross out, where being on the mountain isn't actually all that fun. Being on a fat bike is super fun. And then I was convinced. Yeah. What what are the, what are the three most annoying things you hear from non-fat bikers, Dave? I mean, it, it's almost the way you said it the first time. It's like a sneer and, you know, something mumbled under the breath. But it is funny you say that because uh, two years ago, some of my best friends who were, have been the biggest anti-fat bikers this year are calling me going, Dave, what size tire should I get? I mean, you name it. It it took a little while for everybody to come around. The bottom line, it's a bike. And a lot of us that ski, you know, bike in the summertime, climb, whatever. I mean, people love bikes. It's muscle-powered. It's a great way to get around, and it's a functional thing for the wintertime. The fact that it is kind of taking on a lot more, um, just more of a mainstream kind of approach, if you will, is kind of inundating it more into into the scene. And... You know, how many years are we out of the advent of snowboarding? I mean, that was the same thing when it came out. and Everybody complained about snowboarding. And then two, three years later, everybody got it. Everybody understood it. The mountains and the resorts came around. It's the same way with the fat bike. People still might <laughs> sneer or say something under their breath, but more and more people are jumping on them and realizing, hey, when the time is right, it is the right tool. And, and Brooke, you're building a niche kind of within a niche. So you got the fat bike, and then we've got the fat bike ski. I'm looking at the front fork and the ski in front of it here in the studio. Not obviously um, all the way out into the market yet, a, a kind of lifelong prototype project. Right. Um, what are the first things people say when they see this thing? I think people that have ridden a fat bike before instantly know its value. Um, people that haven't aren't quite so sure um, because you'd think that a bike would work just fine in the snow. But the issue I ran into um, is that when you go to turn back down the hill and you're trying to go around a corner um, that generally has loose snow in it, your front wheel just washes out or it'll dive into soft snow and make you flip. So the ski eliminates that issue. And once people ride it, I've put so much time into dialing in the performance that it feels just like you're on dirt. It feels really familiar and really stable. Um, so as soon as people get on it, they, they're definitely aware of its benefit. And you can attach that to any bike fork, right? Yeah, um, it's designed so you take off the front wheel and the front disc brake, and you put on the attachment if it's on a fat bike fork or a regular mountain bike fork. And um, it's pretty much the same weight as the wheel it replaces, and it allows you to just carve really hard. You can lean the bike over like you're skiing um, and really rail a corner and makes it, um, the, it brings the fun back to riding downhill in the snow where I think... Um, some of the enjoyment of fat biking is just getting out into the woods and being somewhere you wouldn't be in the summer. But the downhill performance is a little bit behind the expectations of it. I think maybe that might be some of the criticism you would see from skiers is that 
it's more of a cross-country experience than a downhill experience right now. Yeah, it's much more akin to cross-country skiing right. compared to downhill skiing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this kind of brings it a little bit more towards the downhill skiing feel. Right. And, and the back wheel, if I understand right, is kind of, it's like a rudder as you're going down the, down the hill. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How well does braking work on it? Like, how well can you just stop? Uh, quite well. I really don't miss the front brake. Um, you can turn the bike and slow it down, and the ski allows you to really cut sharp turns and slow down as you need to, kind of like you do on skis. So your back brake actually works in the snow? Yeah. Definitely. It doesn't work if you were to go down like a, a ski trail, like a black diamond blue square, but I can ride green circles in the easy blue squares on the mountain, um, occasionally get access to ride lifts, and it does pretty well, surprisingly well. And then uh, in deep snow, you don't even need a break. So Dave, I would assume that as far as uh, trail types for regular fat biking, um, you know, cross-country ski centers are probably the most overlap. Is that where the majority of fat biking is taking place? I mean, where is this occurring? Is it snow-covered streets? Is it cross-country ski centers, or am I missing it? Yeah, it's a good question, and each area is very different. Um, in some areas, Nordic centers um, have really embraced fat biking. Um, in some areas, they haven't. I mean, currently here with our Nordic trail system at the Crested Butte Nordic Center, and I forget the exact percentage. I do think it's 20% of the trails are open to fat bikes, which is excellent. It does provide access to other drainages. In those drainages, people snowmobile, snowshoe, and backcountry ski, and oftentimes, again, depending on conditions, that's enough to get the fat bike. So between having the opportunity for the Nordic Center and some of the access close to town um, to get out to these drainages, that's where the um, you know the bulk of it happens. We just got permitted just yesterday. I signed the permit with the Forest Service um, to groom some of our backcountry roads and trails that we do use in the summer. So we're incredibly excited here in Crested Butte. We started last year grooming some single track for Fat Bike World. We realized we can pull it off and it's successful. We've made some crazy modifications to the groomer, but we're incredibly excited now to really go out there and get the true, I mean, what you're doing for a cross-country mountain bike experience. And that was it, too. You nailed it before. You get a work, you get a major workout fat biking. You know, you build up a sweat really quickly. It's hard work. You know, you're sliding the wheel a little bit more than it is getting traction. But there's no doubt about it. It is all about getting into the backcountry and getting into those unique places. The Nordic centers aren't as fun. If you're making circles on a loop where you can see the other side of the loop the whole time, not fun. Getting out, getting in the trees, again, covering some ground and exploring some country. That's what it's all about, and that's what we're looking to really capitalize on here. What companies are embracing it the most? Are there a couple brands that are really leading the charge? No, there have been a bunch. Um, Borealis is a standalone company, which is great. They make just fat bikes. They have made some other regular bikes, too, but they've really come out um, the advent of fat biking, specifically for fat biking, but they've all jumped on board. Trek, Specialized, uh, you know, Sur- uh, Surly Salsa, some of those companies have been around a long time actually doing it. They've always been kind of the cult bike companies, if you will, but they've been doing it for a while, and again, everybody's on board now. Pivot. Um, Rocky Mountain, you name it, everybody's got a fat bike in their quiver. All right, Brooke, let's jump back to the ski for a second. Uh, downhill ski areas, terrain parks. I, I, is there ever going to be a time when I can hop on a fat bike ski and I can do a flow track on a beginner hill or something at a ski area and just lap the puppy? Right. Uh, we're talking with a few mountains that are looking into those possibilities. Um, the challenge is going to be getting bikes up the hill, uh, whether it's on a lift or some other mechanism. So That'll be the the issue. Um, riding downhill on the bike is not the challenge. It's just getting them up there safely and, and comfortably for everyone. They do make some uh, downhill ski bikes that have a ski in the back as well as a ski in the front. 
and that's going to be a more viable thing. It's pretty big in Colorado, and it's uh, trickling its way around the country. But yeah, the fat bike ski on flow trails would be really neat. Um, I don't see it being the first way that they get adopted, but um, if some mountains are into a little experimentation with lift carriers like they do in the summer, keeping some of those on will make it happen. Which trails do you groom in Vermont for fat biking specifically, like trail networks? There are a handful of volunteer groups getting into grooming. There's a few, more than a few Nordic ski centers that are working on grooming. Right now, some of the best ones are Catamount in Williston and Bolton Valley is opening some trails for fat biking. Um, Grafton Ponds has a really dedicated guy down there, Chris. He's working on Rokon grooming on a bunch of their single track. The Vimba website has a pretty good resource with, I think there are 15 Nordic ski areas and then 10 other um, like state land trail networks and then five like Vimba chapters. So there's like 25 places you can ride in the state right now. The whole vast trail is open to fat bikers too, right? For the most part? Right now it's um, specific loops on state land on the vast trails and those are shown on the Vimba website. Um, We're working on that situation but um, starting out kind of small and making sure that everyone is respectful and comfortable of the, the shared use. And, and Colorado-wise, Dave, um, access, fat biking, is there any overlap between uh, the fat biking community or fat bikers and the actual operating ski, is, ski areas themselves, Crested Butte or otherwise? For the last two years trying to push our mountain here, Crested Butte Mountain Resort, I'm like, hey, do it. Be the first ones. Be the first lift serve downhill fat biking resort. We've been lucky enough with Fat Bike World to get a day out of it. This year, we actually are going to have lift served. Last year, the lift serve kind of came in last minute because it was snowing. But this year, we are planning on lift serve fat bike downhilling for that last day. So like Brooke mentioned, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. What we're going to do this year is actually block off underneath the lifts so that, God forbid, a bike ever fell, it wouldn't fall on a skier's head. But obviously, the industry does need to look to a way to get fat bikes on a lift, just like you would a skier. So you could, uh, you know, cross that over. But again, to the to the downtimes and to the, the laps and the voids in the season, it'd be a great way to attract another crowd or other people who don't ski, people who love bikes. It's another fun thing to do in the winter. And the future is, I don't want to say wide open. You got people like Brooke out there that are making a, a, an incredible uh, device to make it work. And personally, that's exactly what I'd love to see happen more so at the ski areas, but sky's the limit, and I'm hoping Crested Butte Mountain Resort jumps on there. Dave, have you ever ridden Brooks' prototype? I I did ride it quickly around the parking lot last year. I didn't get enough time on it, but everybody and their mother who was here for Fat Bike World saw that thing and wanted to jump on it, so it was kind of hard to do, but um, I did ride it around the parking lot, and that was about it. It was pretty sweet. Again, he nailed it. That's what it's all about is that control, that front tire. You know, what you're getting used to as a fat biker is you do not obviously have the same exact traction and grip that you have in the summertime. So being able to turn and have that kind of control is pretty darn unique. And it's also, I mean, I would think it would do really well in a place like Colorado or Utah where there's really light and less dense snow. So it's what you need to help stay afloat. Brooke, the early prototypes, when did you start that puppy? This was my senior project in high school at CVU um, back in 99, 2000. Um, Came up with the idea probably in 98 and did some drawings in a drafting class and uh, learned how to weld and use the machine shop and built my first prototype 16 years ago. And uh, I ended up getting a patent as part of that process. 
and I've been evolving it uh, through college and beyond since then. It's definitely been um, a passion project, kind of a pastime when I have the the time available in the winter, but we're looking at bringing it into production this year. I got it working really well after all this R&D sorted out all the issues and um, it's the time's right. The market's ready. I have about 400 people signed up for our pre-order alerts. Uh, moving pretty well with it. So it's almost for sale. Yeah, it's almost for sale. Exactly. Nice. Does Six, it, 16 years in the making. Right. Does it work better if you have a rigid front fork or if you have a shock? Right now it's better with a suspension fork. Um, it kind of takes out some of the little bumps and uh, helps with the stability and also helps you press into the corners and really weight the front end. Um, it's, it, the ski responds really well to leaning in super hard. Um, you can ride it casually, but you can also push it harder than you could imagine. Um, it feels like you have a berm on any corner, like wherever you want it. That's how I describe it to people that are familiar with that feeling, just uh, being able to rail around a corner whenever you feel like it. It's pretty amazing. Dave, what's the epicenter of fat biking on, on the planet? Is there a place? Yikes, man. Um, there'd be careful to be a whole bunch of people fighting over it. I mean, the Midwest is definitely um, a fat bike hotbed. I mean, last year I went to that fat bike Berkey, and they sell out at 1,000. I mean, they could probably put 2,500 people in there, and people came from all over the you know, the Midwestern cities over there. So, you know, it's it's tough to put a finger on. If anything, I'd have to say Alaska because that's where it came from and that's where um, it really um, uh, grew as a sport. It's where it really took off in terms of the innovations and what, what took on the new uh, designs and the new function to it. And I would have to say Alaska. Where do you see it in five years? Anywhere different than it is now? I'm hoping it's here. <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, just the way Colorado is. and it's not, Vermont's the same way. I I've spent a couple of years in New Hampshire, and I love the area, but um, there's no doubt about it that Colorado is a big epicenter for all things outdoors, and people here love bikes, myself included. I mean, it, it's not even a joke around here that people have, you know, $20,000, $30,000 worth of bikes and a $2,000 car, and people take it very seriously, their recreation here. So I expect it to take off even further if we can fulfill what we're, we're trying to do with the Mountain Bike Association and getting real, true backcountry fat bike trails in, I think it's got great opportunity. Well, enjoy your next two-foot dump, all right? <laughs> no doubt. It makes grooming a lot harder. I'm sure it does. Hey, thanks for the time, Dave. Really appreciate you bringing up up to date on the state of fat biking. And Brooke, that ski is pretty impressive. Almost for sale. Maybe next year I can get myself on one. Yeah, we'll be doing pre-orders at the end of this winter. All right, well, I'm going to make Caroline ride it, not me. I'll watch, though. Absolutely. It's easier than riding a bike. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Wintry Mix episode 39. Be sure to go back in time to catch episodes you've missed and follow the show on social to keep tabs on what's happening. Thanks to the gang at Waterbury Sports in downtown Waterbury, Vermont, for helping me keep my winter gear in order. And they do bikes, too. Toss us a review on iTunes if you are the helpful type. And don't be that guy blocking the access road because you don't have snow tires. And fine job, Caroline. Go ride a fat bike. Heck yeah. Goodbye. A bad day skiing is better than a doing anything else. Wait, can I say it? Yeah, okay. try, try, try that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>